All right, we've been in Psalm 23 for the past few weeks, and we're going to be there today. And uh, we're in a series called The Good Shepherd. And um, if you're new here, it will not be very hard to catch you up on what we've been doing. Um, a simple phrase that sort of just captures the whole series is, our aim is to walk with God in this series. Uh, with the emphasis on two different words in that phrase, walk with God. First is to walk. I don't know about you guys, but I'm in a hurry even when I got nothing on my calendar. Anybody else like that? Like, you're sitting at a red light in a hurry, and you're like, wait, I'm not even headed to anything. I'm just getting groceries on my day off. What, what, why do I need this light to be green so bad? <laughs> and I just sense the Lord, like, inviting us into, hey, thank you, Emma, for that laugh. I appreciated that. I love you. Uh, um, but I just sense the Lord, like, wanting to slow us down. I don't, I don't think that that God is gonna compete with our hurry. Um, I don't think he wants to match our pace at all, actually, in our culture. I think he wants to slow us down, so walk. Uh, and then walk with God, and so I felt this special emphasis on with God, not walk for God or from God or whatever else, but just this emphasis on, man, let's invite the presence of God into this space and my prayer is that ministry would happen because God was here, right? That, that because you stilled yourself for long enough and acknowledged God's presence on your life, ministry happened as a result of that, as opposed to ministry happening because a, a pastor got up and like wooed you with story, which is very powerful. I'm not undermining my own like <laughs> role to, to preach the gospel and, and to try to like get your heart. I want to do that, but, but just in a special way, like, Lord, would your presence be the reason that ministry happens first and foremost? And whatever the pastor and the worship team and the co-ministers of this church, which is all of you, will do our part, but first and foremost, the presence of God. So walk with God. Um, and I want to start before we get into verse three today. We're going one verse at a time. I want to start with a question I can't decide if I want my stool or not. You stay right there. We'll see. Um, that was weird. Why am I talking to a stool? Um, all right. I want to I start with a question. What do you do when your soul needs healing? That's the question of the day. And hopefully by the end of this, there's some clarity, because that's kind of a weird question, kind of vague kind of mysterious, but hopefully we flesh this out. So what do you do when your soul needs healing? So in other words, what do you do when you're hurting, when you're anxious, when you're addicted, when you're lost, when you feel like you've fallen? And I want to start by sharing a little bit of what I've done in my past. I have a testimony that is littered with so many different searches for restoration. I've had so many moments where I would be doing things because my soul was crying out. I just didn't know it yet. I didn't have the wisdom or the maturity yet to recognize that my soul was in pain. It took me quite a bit of, quite a bit of time to figure it out. Some of you figured this out way before I did. And a lot of times, my search for soul restoration for soul level healing for me personally so it'll be different for all of us but for me my search for soul healing would masquerade 
as a search for a good time. That's, my, that's Joshua Soloway's personal testimony. My search for soul healing would masquerade as a search for a good time. In other words, let's turn up. Let's turn up in whatever way is available to us tonight, right? So I got a few examples of how I turn up. Weed, I loved weed. Weed was perfect for me. Now it wasn't, and I'm gonna get to that, but it was for a second. I mean, when I found weed, it was like I had found everything I could ever need. Alcohol was second place, but still close race. Loved alcohol. I also loved caffeine, still do. Love sugar with all my heart. There's also other simple things I would turn to. TV, sports, podcast. Every so often I'd go shopping. Guys, I don't know if you actually know this about me. I love shopping. I don't do it often, but when I do, ask my wife. I go hard in the paint. I'll go shopping once every six months, but I'll shop six months worth in that one moment. Is anyone else like that? Like you're disciplined until you're not, and then it's like $1,000, bow. Okay, not that much, but still, I'd flirt with, I'd be in triple digits for sure, minimum, right? So anyway, maybe I would... Maybe I would just go apathetic when my soul was hurting. That, that's also been something I've seen me do. I've seen me also just try to busy myself, work out a lot, or get work done, or just hang with people. And I wouldn't even connect the dots. But in high seasons of stress, like if I got stressed from being too busy, or having too much output, or seasons of deep grief, like I think about family members that have passed away, or friends that have died, or relationships that have been broken unexpectedly, Um, seasons of being sad about my autoimmune disease, like that's been with me for a long time, and I'm starting to figure out some things. I've shared with you guys some of my life hacks about fasting and diet that I'm getting really excited about, but at times that's been really depressing for me. Um, Seasons of suppressing emotions like anger, sadness, anxiousness, worry, and when those seasons come, which are very often, like some of this stuff is like, it feels like every week I got something like this. I'll just coincidentally have these thoughts, these urges, these impulses, like, man, I'm about to go snag some five daughters right now. Like a five daughters donut for some reason feels like it'll fix everything about my day. (laughs) Guys, I'm not even speaking logically here. Like, I don't know why that would be the conclusion, but I've noticed it's a real thing. Because they got, pale, they got like gluten-free, dairy-free. Like they, they understand me and my needs. Like, you know what I mean? The sea salt chocolate one. Or, uh, or randomly, like just kind of out of the blue, I'll think, man, lighting up a blunt right now sounds so good. Like just smoking weed right now sounds so good. It sounds so good to me. Or grabbing a drink with friends would really hit the spot. Some of y'all call it grabbing a brew. I never got into that lingo. Respect to you, though, but like, want to grab a brew? I'm like, what is that? It's a beer, I guess. In more recent seasons, it's, man, I want to stop by Kroger and get a Red Bull or go to Turnip Truck and get an organic, you know, whatever energy drink they have there at Turnip Truck. And I'm learning that sometimes I'm doing this in the immediate and sometimes I'm doing this in the long term. So sometimes it's, this is my response when there's like immediate stress. So if I feel too busy, if I feel a little overwhelmed, I'll reach for something. 
Sometimes it's prolonged. Like when I've had death in the family, I've recognized that it usually takes me about four to six months for my brain to catch up for what's happened in my life, and then I start reaching. So for the first three or four months, I'm actually pretty strong. Like when I preached my grandma's funeral, I felt so confident. She's in heaven. She's in a better spot. We should all be happy. Let's rejoice and celebrate. Six months later, I got a little depressed that one of my best friends had died. Does that make sense? Like sometimes it takes a minute. Now, as I've gotten older, I'm learning to recognize these moments. I'm finally learning. Yes, my wife. Like I'm starting to get better at recognizing the symptoms. My soul is crying out. I get angsty, and I'm like, "Whoop! I think I'm angsty." And. It's literally a discipline. It is a discipline in the sense that you have to resist the impulse to go after sugar or caffeine or alcohol or weed or porn or whatever your vice, whatever that thing is that you want to reach. It's a discipline to go, no, no. And instead, what I have to do, I got to go to a park or go to a nice little bench somewhere or my front porch. I got to be outside and I got to sit still. And I won't even reach an epiphany. I'll just sit still and I'll acknowledge, God, you're here. I ain't ready to talk yet because I can tell something's up and I'm angsty, but you're here, something's up. And if I'll sit there, that first minute is impossible. But if I'll make it a minute or two, suddenly I'll just start weeping. Now, this is Joshua's story. You're all going to process differently, but me, I'll just start crying. Okay. I didn't Postmates five daughters. I didn't get the Red Bull. I sat still. Hey, God, I think I'm hurting. And even like right now, like when I just think about it, I want to start crying. Like, oh, my soul's hurting. That's what's going on. And just simply enough. So I'm learning that when I feel these ways, when I feel this angst, this need to go grab something, to, to make me feel something, I'm learning that so often attached to that feeling, there is a soul need. Your soul needs something. And it needs something supernatural, but you're trying to reach into something in the physical to fix it. And so I ask again, where do you go when your soul needs healing? I wonder if it's an action like drinking or gambling or smoking weed or shopping or binging a show or eating your feelings. I've literally done all of those things in my past. <laughs> maybe it's an emotion. You get angry or sad or hyper. Like maybe you suppress by going the opposite direction or maybe you get depressed. Maybe it's a thought process. You get cynical, anxious, worrisome, distracted, obsessive. You try to control things you can control because life is out of control. And so before I continue on, I want to invite you, pull out a phone, pull out a pen and paper. I'm going to be quiet for 90 seconds, and I want you to actually journal, write down, what do you do when your soul is crying out? I've tried to lead with transparency. I've given you some embarrassing things about myself that I am not proud of, but it's who I actually am. It's my real vices. And so I want you to think for yourself. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Where do you go? When you feel hurt, when you're grieving, when you feel trapped, when you've made a mistake.
about 15 more seconds. All right. I do want to offer some clarity. This isn't because I'm embarrassed, but um, I, I do not smoke weed. Um, I, I, I used to be a crazy stoner. Um, I used to love weed. So if you've ever smoked weed or are still smoking weed and trying to stop, I'd love to talk to you about that. But my current vices in the present are sugar and caffeine, just for the record. All right. Um, I just feel like that was important. It was like, I don't want y'all thinking that when I get stressed over church stuff, like, what's the sermon going to be about that I just smoke? I don't. Uh, anyway. Uh, ha ha, Psalm 23. Uh, this is verses one through three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep often need restoring, whether they get injured, lost, sick, or cast down. There's a psalm in Psalm 42. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Okay. I was watching a uh, YouTube video, as apparently I do for every sermon, always. Uh, I keep referencing YouTube. There's this guy named Andy Nicholas. He's a sheepdog trainer in England, and he's giving advice to anyone in England that walks near a pasture. So just picture yourself living in England and going for a walk, and there's pastures of there's sheep. Okay. And he's giving advice. If you see a sheep on its back, that sheep is cast down, upside down, legs up, just on its back. This is very common and also very bad. That sheep is in trouble. It cannot roll over. Sheep do not roll on their backs for fun, for belly rubs, or for sleep. A sheep that is cast down is trapped and completely helpless. A sheep that is cast down is awaiting death unless a shepherd comes and flips it over. So David, the psalmist here, we know his testimony, talked about a couple weeks ago, he was a shepherd before he was a king. He's saying, my soul can find itself in places where nothing can restore it. It is completely helpless. Somewhere along the way, my soul got flipped upside down. It got sick. It got lost. It got injured. And it could not help itself. And only you, good shepherd, only you can restore it. This psalm is inviting us to understand something extremely simple, but hard sometimes to digest. Only God. There are some things that you need that literally there is one source for your soul, God himself. We have souls Souls that go beyond our energy, our emotions, our personality, our circumstances, our season of life. And only God knows our souls. Your friends know fractions of you, fractions of your soul. Your spouse, your parents that raised you, 
You do, you know a little bit about your soul, but only God knows your soul in its entirety and only God knows how to restore it. Psalm 42, as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's why David says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's why Jesus, with the woman at the well, says, if you drink the water that I have to offer, you will never thirst again. Jesus is tapping into this language. Your soul was created to thirst for the touch of God. Only God can quench the thirst that your soul is living with right now. Only God can quench that thirst. So again, the question, where do you go? Where do you go when your soul needs to be restored? Because this is where we are less like sheep, right? We've, we've talked about this. If you're new here, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Eat those church, Hillsborough Village, Spotify, Apple, podcast. Plug. I get nothing out of that. Just go listen to it. Sheep have this instinctive understanding that they need to be led. So this is definitely where the metaphor breaks down because we lack that instinct. We have autonomy. We have agency. And to be frank, this should intimidate us and put the fear of God in us that we can choose things. Because while sheep understand we need to be led, we don't always understand this, that surely we need the good shepherd to come and tend to our souls. And so for the rest of your life, This is a fact about you. You will always cling to something or someone to tend to your soul. You will always do this. That's what I just named in my story. It was me clinging to something or someone to tend to my soul. Sometimes this will be in ignorance, and sometimes this will be in willful disobedience and sinfulness. But here's what I need you to understand about the Good Shepherd. In Luke chapter 15, write this chapter down. Luke chapter 15, go read this today. Jesus is gonna give you his permanent posture toward the one who cries out to the good shepherd for healing. And he starts with a shepherd metaphor. He goes, here's what I'm like. Here's what the presence of God is once and for all always like. It's like a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one sheep goes missing, and he looks at the 99 and goes, all right, y'all take care of each other. And he goes and he searches every nook and cranny of earth to find the lost sheep. And when he finds the lost sheep, he doesn't smack it or take his staff and just kind of jab at it or yell at it. Why would you leave? Where'd you go? Why are you so dumb? What are you thinking? How did 99 get it right? And you happened to mess this up. How did you manage to do this when everyone else seemed to understand to keep following me? No, when he finds the sheep, he picks it up and he rejoices. I didn't recognize this until today. Jesus doesn't just say that the shepherd rejoices. He says, when a sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. And it just added another layer to the generosity of the father toward his kids. He goes, 
heaven. Paul's praising my name as you should for all of eternity. My daughter just repented of her sin and all of heaven goes, hooray, let's turn up. But like not with weed and alcohol, just the glory of heaven. If you need to know the posture of the living God clothed in righteousness and glory and perfection, when you choose to repent, repent's just a fancy word for I'm going to stop crying out to that for healing and I'm going to start crying out to Christ for healing. That's repentance. I will not search for life over here. I will only search for life in the presence of God. When you make that decision, God rejoices. That's his posture. Next story, prodigal son, classic, beautiful. A son asks his father for the inheritance before his dad dies. Don't got time to dig into it. Very insulting. Hey, dad, since you ain't dead yet, can you give me what I'm going to get when you do die? I'm kind of impatient. Gets all the money, goes to Vegas, gambles it all away, spends it on booze and strippers, loses it all in a heartbeat, finds himself asking for food from someone like, hey, whatever you feed your pigs, can I have some? Because I got no money and nowhere to find food embarrassing. What an idiot. I am him for sure. Like literal, I would have done something like that. And he finds himself in this just horrible situation and goes, okay, okay, thank, thank, thank brain. Thank brain. You can get out of this. You can do it. Oh, I got it. I'm going to go back home. And I know my father has disowned me already, but I guarantee I, I grew up around his servants. I know how to be a servant. I'm going to negotiate this thing since I already know. He's already decided for the father. I'm not a son anymore. Hey, dad. All right. Hear me out. I mean, hey, sir, boss, you, not dad anymore. Like, I'll, I'll clean up around the house. I'll make the food. I'll take care of the I'll do it all. We don't even got to talk anymore. Just let me eat because I know your servants eat. He heads home. Let's just say he's nearsighted. The house is still blurry. Before he can even get to the driveway, he looks up and he sees his father who has become so undignified. I don't know what your dads look like when they run, but just picture an unathletic father just running, looking like a complete doofus. But his dad doesn't care because his son is getting near to the driveway and he's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's coming back. He sprints, and he doesn't say one thing. He just picks him up and starts, oh, my gosh. And the son's like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, it's just, don't tell anyone about what I just did. This is a safe space to be vulnerable. Um, and he just hugs me, puts a ring on him, puts a robe on him, kills the fattened calf, serves up ribeye, throws a block party, tells every neighbor, come here. My son has come home. Before the son can even negotiate the terms of being a servant, the father's like, my son is back. Jesus says, that's my posture toward anyone that looks to find life in Christ. So if you're like me and you've been the prodigal son a thousand times, if you're like me and you've surprised yourself, how many times you go to find life outside of the Father's presence. 
the posture of God toward any sinner that repents, that turns from that way of living, is to rejoice over you, is to welcome you in. And he's not negotiating the terms of your relationship with him, ever. Christ gave his life to purchase the right to call you daughter, to call you son. I was watching uh, this movie called Jesus Revolution, which everyone should see. Um, if you're like me, you have your thoughts on Christian movies. Um, this one is unbelievably good. But a quote from that movie, a, a pastor was about to go up and preach, and this amazing revival is happening, but he's nervous because his, his other leader had, had just kind of left the movement. And so he was like, I shouldn't be up there preaching. I, and he's telling his wife backstage, how am I supposed to go up and lead a revival? I, I'm not the guy, whatever. And she said, hey, don't be arrogant enough to think that God can't use your weakness. Don't be arrogant enough to think God can't use your sin, your mistakes for his glory. I was like, well, that's a weird way to say that, isn't it? Because I'm used to being arrogant about my perceived strengths. Because no, don't even be arrogant about your weaknesses. In fact, boast in them. I'm pretty sure scripture says something like, man, like in my weakness, your perfect strength is displayed. So I will boast in my weaknesses. That was a tangent I didn't plan on. Let me figure out how to get this back. Oh, yeah. The rest of the psalm says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. When we come back to God, when we repent, he sets us back on a path to be righteous, which means free from guilt, free from sin, forgiven and cleansed. In other words, when he restores your soul, he keeps it. He leads you down paths that keep you whole and healed and close to him. And then it says, for his name's sake, church, God alone, God alone deserves every bit of glory. Let's grow as a family at praising the name of Jesus. God has been so good. I think we're in a time of underestimating the consequence of God's reality in our life. How robust the consequence of God's salvation in my life. My father was sexually and physically and mentally abused his whole life. And he found Jesus at 21. And in a generation of tr trauma awareness, I have searched my childhood and I don't have one bit, and I, and I know some people do, and I, I do not say this with arrogance, I have no trauma from my father. My father found Christ. Like God has been so good. And for some of you, that's, you're gonna be like my dad. You found Jesus and your kids will have a different story because you found Christ. Since he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. No room for my ego in God's story. 
Lord knows I've tried to ruin the story. God restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And just thankfully, when God gets glory, for some reason, his kids get the good stuff. Romans says he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. So we get some good stuff, but it's all to his glory. So I'm going to lead us in about an eight-minute prayer exercise. I don't like, let's not call it an exercise ever again. I'm going to lead us in about eight minutes of prayer where we're just literally going to talk to God personally. We're not going to circle up after. We're not going to share out loud. This is going to be an individual, intimate thing. And so for about 20 seconds, get yourself in a place of attentiveness because I believe God is here right now, and I believe he wants to minister to you right now. What helps me is I sit up straight, I take deep breaths, three to four second breaths. I'm gonna be quiet for a few moments, and I want you to just personally reach out to the Lord acknowledge his presence, and I want you just to invite him. God, I know there's a lot of people, there's kids, there's noise. I'm I'm very conscious of people around me. Will you help me to focus on you? I trust that you're here. I see some of you already doing this. If you want to sit down on the ground, if you want to lean up against the wall, if you need to stand at the back, whatever you need to do to pay attention. But go ahead and invite the presence of God here. Invite him to talk to you. And to start this time of prayer, I want you to tell God an area of pain or confusion or sin or anxiousness. In other words, tell God an area where your soul is crying out. God, I'm feeling confusion about this. God, I'm hurting because of this. God, I've been sinful when I did this. God, I'm anxious about this. Take a few moments to reflect on your life and tell God where your soul needs healing. And as you name that area, ask God right now, God, will you show me the root cause? Will you help me understand the real reason this is happening?
Why am I feeling this way? Will you show me? And spend some time listening. He's going to lead you through this. As you continue this dialogue with the Lord, tell him, tell him how you're currently coping with this. What's the thing that you feel? What's the thing that you do? What's the thing you say to cope with this so far? And just process that with him. How am I currently coping with this hurt in my soul? This next part's kind of the hard part. I want you to ask God to heal you. We've addressed the root cause and what you're currently doing to cope, but now it's like, God, will you heal me? I trust that you can do it. And I want you to ask him, God, will you speak into this area? And I want you to invite him to provide any instruction that you need to hear. God, show me the way to the path of righteousness. You have permission to instruct me in this area of pain. Will you speak to me, Holy Spirit?
I want you to spend the last couple of minutes first receive the love of God. We've talked about the posture of the good shepherd. I've read you the scriptures. You know it's true. And just tell God, God, I receive it. I receive that no matter how I feel right now, no matter how much I'm hurting or if I've been sinful or if I feel confused, no matter what, you love me. And spend about a minute just absorbing that in. And once you've received it, then reciprocate it. Lavish your love on him. Brag on God to God. Tell him why you love him. Tell him why he's good. Boast on the Lord, but not before you've received his love for you. It is so good for the soul to tell God why you love him. Keep going. Keep thinking of more reasons. Don't stop. All right, I wanna give you a minute to pull out a phone and if there's anything that you need to write down that goes, I don't need to like leave this behind. I need to remember this one thing I thought or I wanna make sure I revisit this. I really encourage you, writing things down is really good for your brain and processing information. And so pull out a phone, pull out a pen and paper. If there's something you said that you're like, oh man, that's what's really hurting and I can't forget this. Because when we get back into our day to day, we forget the special moments unless we really are intentional about writing them down and putting them somewhere where we're gonna see them. Maybe that's just me, but I struggle. 
to remember the special things that God's told me unless I'm really intentional about it. And so this is me giving you space to be intentional. I, I think God is speaking and moving. Take note of it. Do something that's gonna help you remember it tomorrow when you're back into the minutia of just daily life. I also just realized this is a really helpful thing to do at any time. I didn't even, I, I was just thinking about today, but at any point in your life, if you did these five steps, I mean, this is just inviting God to minister to you. Take this with you. You may have to use it for the same exact thing, the same area of pain or confusion or whatever for the next two years. And over time, God really is just going to heal you. Don't be in a hurry with healing, man. Walk with God. I had a friend tell me that we tend to overestimate what God will do in our lives in a year and underestimate what he'll do in our lives in a decade. Just kind of speaking to our impatience. But a posture like this over a decade, we will experience God the healer, like the miracle that it is to walk with God. I believe that. There's communion under the inside chair on every other row. So if you're on the first row, third row, fifth row, and so on, you can grab communion. You can take one, pass it down. We call these the rip and sips. So you, you rip up when the top layer and you get a little piece of quote unquote bread. You rip the next layer and you get to drink quote unquote grape juice. And uh, we're gonna stand and take communion together. So once you've gotten a little, a little bit of communion, you can stand. And we'll take it together. And during communion, we're just going to really absorb just how good the good shepherd is. So take that little wafer, that little piece of bread. Before you take it, that represents the body of Christ. It's the symbol that tells us God did not stay distant. He does not do that. He is not a shepherd that shepherds from a distance, but he took on flesh. He became human. He had a heartbeat. He had breath in his lungs. He lived and breathed as a human. So take that bread now and remember that God comes close. And now as you hold the cup, the cup reminds us, whether you're in here and you're a Christian or not, that cup reminds us that God not only took on flesh and lived and breathed as a human, but the story of the Bible is that that human, Jesus, lived absolutely perfectly, something no other human has ever managed to do. And he did so that he could give his life, take on our guilt onto himself, and he was dead for three days, and he resurrected from the grave. And when he resurrected, because of the blood that was shed, that's represented in that cup, that cup, we now permanently have access to a holy God, and we can freely run into his arms. So take the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that I could have a way. Father, it is not an empty phrase when I tell you you are worthy of all praise. 
God, you are so worthy of our praise. And whether we need to sing out loud or fall on our face or just sit quietly with our eyes closed, Lord, will you help us to worship you right now? We're nothing without you. And we are not without you. Thank you. We, uh, we wear your crown of steadfast mercy and love with pride this morning in Jesus' name.